In the name of our living and loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I wonder if you, if you remember ever having the experience of being lost as a child, or had that moment as a parent or carer when you have lost a child in the crowd. For me, one of my earliest memories is of being lost at around three years of age. It is a vivid memory reinforced by a fading black-and-white photograph that was taken by my mother of me on that day, just before I went missing. The occasion was a visit to a fete in a local country park that included a marching band. My recollection is of getting caught up with the sight and sounds of the band, and in my mind at least, marching alongside. Unbeknown to me was the fact that my mother had taken her eyes off me for a moment, and I had become lost in the crowd. She must have been frantic while, oblivious to her panic, I continued along with my newfound companions. Then, suddenly, I was brought up short with a not very hard smack on my leg and told I was a naughty boy for wandering off, while at the same time being smothered with hugs and kisses from a very relieved mother. It is a somewhat mixed memory. I didn't like the smack, but the band was great, and I enjoyed the hugs from my mum. That experience did, however, imprint itself on me, and I think as both a parent and grandparent, I have been extra careful not to lose sight of the children in a crowd. That said, children will always be children. Wandering off to explore the world around them is in their DNA, and those heart-stopping moments will continue for the grown-ups who look after them. Softened by the relief of discovering the momentarily missing child in the fruit and veg section of the supermarket when you thought she was right behind you at the fish counter. Today's Gospel reading contains some of those same elements of concern and then relief in recounting what happened when Mary and Joseph took the 12-year-old Jesus to Jerusalem. They lose Jesus but then find him in unexpected circumstances having gone through the worry of concerned parents. Apart from the stories about the infant Jesus, this is in fact the only gospel account that we have of him as a boy. In going to Jerusalem with Jesus, the family were being faithful to their religious obligation. Faithful Jews would, if possible, make three visits annually to Jerusalem for the feasts of Passover, Weeks and Booths though for ordinary families these might be combined in a single visit. Jesus was also approaching the age at which he would cross the threshold into adulthood within his community. He would become a son of the commandment at 13. Sometimes, depending on a family's circumstances, this ceremony might just take place a year earlier if it coincided with such a visit to the temple though there is nothing in Luke's Gospel to to suggest this. What we hear from Luke is that when Mary and Joseph return home to Nazareth, they realize that Jesus is missing. They certainly would have been anxious, albeit less so than would be the case in today's culture. And the fact that they did not miss him for three days is not a sign of bad parenting, but reflecting the richer sense of family and community that was true in Jesus' day. It might well have been that when Mary, Joseph, and Jesus traveled to Jerusalem, they did so as part of a wider group of family and friends. 
with Jesus not hanging on their apron strings, being nothing new to them. But when they realized that he had not returned from Jerusalem, they must have known that sickening sense of anxiety that is the lot of any parent looking for their child, and so they head back to Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the young Jesus, who I cannot imagine being any less inquisitive or adventurous than any 12-year-old, would have been fascinated by the sights and sounds of Jerusalem. We can picture him exploring the streets and alleys of the city. He was, in that sense, an ordinary lad behaving like a 12-year-old. Maybe when he realized that his parents and the party which, with whom he had traveled had left without him, he was a bit concerned at first, but then figured, whatever, and that his parents would show up sometime. Bearing in mind where Mary and Joseph found him on their return, it seems that he was perfectly safe and probably being well looked after by the religious teachers who were, as it turns out, also fascinated by him. When Mary and Joseph find Jesus, it's clear that Mary had been worried as she tells Jesus how anxious she had been for him. His response to Mary brings home the point that this ordinary 12-year-old is also quite extraordinary, those two qualities held together seamlessly. In conversation with the religious, his, sorry, his conversation with the religious teachers was extraordinary, as was his response to his parents. Jesus seems puzzled as to why they had been searching for him. Did they not know that he would be in his father's house? This is a moment of transition in Luke's gospel. It is the last we hear of Jesus' childhood, and the familial attachment of Jesus to his earthly parents loosens as he is drawn into a deeper relation with God. This is clear from Jesus' response to Mary. Jesus is beginning to leave his immediate family circle as the seeds of his future ministry to a world of need begin to grow. After this episode are the hidden years of Jesus' life, about which the Gospels say nothing. We see him next at the outset of his ministry as a full-grown man, but we can surmise reasonably something of what took place during that time. Mary and Joseph's awareness of Jesus' identity would have grown over time, and the recognition of his ordinary and extraordinary nature developing through his teenage years. The son who they had known like any other son, first as dependent, trusting, and needing, grew in wisdom and understanding and into an ever-deepening relationship with God. His life was increasingly aligned with his heavenly Father and his love and compassion extending way beyond his family. We can imagine Mary and Joseph, for however long Joseph was alive, we can imagine they might have been puzzled and even disturbed as Jesus grew and developed. If his adult years are anything to go by, then we know Jesus did not conform. He was strong-willed and determined, and no doubt there were some things that Mary could not make sense of at the time. It was perhaps only after the resurrection that things fell into place for Mary, and the mystery of this ordinary but extraordinary son was revealed fully to her. This child, then man, who had been known so fully in his humanity, was also the divine son of God, the ordinary and the extraordinary inextricably bound up. That's what this season of Christmas is all about, reminding us of the glory of the Incarnation, 
Jesus, fully human and fully divine, was completely and unequivocally both. Through the encounter with Jesus in his humanity, Mary and Joseph and the disciples who witnessed his earthly ministry came also to recognize his divinity. Their identification with Jesus as a man led them to an understanding of the nature of God. How else could they, or we, really appreciate something of what God is like? The gulf between God and us would be too wide. God would be incomprehensible even to the greatest minds. How else could they, or we, know for sure that God is with us and immersed completely in the human condition? God would otherwise seem dispassionate and aloof. How else could we know that God's love for us is unconditional and unlimited? God met us in our brokenness with love embodied in the human life that was Jesus, not because we deserved that love, but because God's very nature is to love us. As Mary and Joseph, having overcome the shock of leaving Jesus in Jerusalem, from there on in begin to grow in their knowledge and understanding of how this ordinary boy was also so extraordinary. We too need to take stock of what the Incarnation means for us. What difference does it make to our day-to-day lives to know that God understands us from the inside of our humanity? When we look at the life of Jesus, what does it teach us about who God is and the extent of God's love for humankind? And how does our faith reflect in action the compassion, grace, and mercy of God who loves us and in whose image we are made? These are big questions that deserve and require us to spend time with because the implications of our answers are far-reaching and have considerable implications for how we live in relation to each other and to God. The Christmas season is a good time to ponder on those questions as we rest in the glow of celebrating the Incarnation. As we reflect on the life of Jesus and what he teaches us about God, let our response shape for good the direction of travel for our lives as we head into 2019. That might just be the best New Year's resolution that any of us could make.